0: Hey pals, it's Mick just jumping in at the start of the episode to say we recorded this one quite a few weeks ago and uh, we went through a little bit of Star Trek news at the start. There's a couple of things that are a little bit out of date now, um, but most of it's still relevant and pretty interesting. So hope you enjoy the episode. Uh, the Star Trek episode we covered, The Squire of Gothos, is awesome. Uh, So if you're not watching every episode, this is definitely one that's worth jumping on and watching. Um, Thanks for bearing with us while we've been super busy and haven't been able to put out any episodes. Uh, We just recorded a new one today, actually, with uh, super special guest, Demi Lardner, uh, who we're very lucky to have on, and I'm really excited about... Putting that out for everybody to hear. I'll uh, get that out in a couple of days, so it'll be a double episode week, and then uh, hopefully we'll be able to fit back into a routine and try and plough through a few more reps before the end of the year. Anyway, thanks very much, and enjoy the Squire of Gothos. <laughs> Welcome back to He's Dead, Jim. We're watching Star Trek, the original series, one episode at a time. I'm Mick McConnell, and please welcome Emily Lind. Good morning, Emily.
1: <laughs> good morning.
0: Or oh, Good evening. How is your New York Saturday?
1: Oh, it's going It's going pretty good. Let's see, I, I watched some Clone Wars. I watched a new Ben Mendelsohn movie. I had some nice. wine. Yeah, I'm doing pretty good.
0: Very cool. Which Mendo movie are you up to?
1: Um, we jumped to a new one. It's like a Netflix original. It's called "The Land of Steady Habits."
0: Oh, uh, very good. I've heard of this Netflix. Very <laughs> cool. I might have to check it out.
1: Yeah, it's 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 good. It's him and um, Edie Falco from The Sopranos, and uh, Connie Britton. It's 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 sort of just like your kind of bog standard suburban. Drama, but the performances are really good.
0: Very cool. I'll have to check that out. Uh, so, for those not aware, Emily and Brittany on Cannabite Dispatch, uh, awesome Star Wars podcasts, they're reviewing Ben Mendelsohn movies or watching a. You, you, you're basically watching his whole back catalogue.
1: Yeah, not really... yeah, not in order because I sort of decide it based on. What happens to be up on streaming, or what's easily available? But yeah, we do we do one a month. We just sort of pick whatever. Well, we I say we. It's me because I'm obsessed with him, and so I just sort of pick whatever movie happens to catch my eye.
0: Nice, Australia's greatest export, Mendo.
1: He's he's a pretty good export.
0: Pretty cool. Uh so it's Sunday morning here in Brisbane, uh beautiful spring day, I've had my shower, I'm dressed for the day, and then my son sneaks up behind me and tips soy sauce down the back of my neck and then loudly <laughs> declares, prank
1: <laughs> Wow, that's 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 some prank.
0: <laughs> Eight year olds, man. Um has that <laughs> happened to you before?
1: Well, no. I mean, one of the things about not having kids is you're less likely to have that happen.
0: Yeah, I I didn't think that was one of the things that was likely to happen to me today, but there (laughs) you go. So I've changed my shirt and I might have a bit of a soy sauce cologne for the rest of the day.
1: Oh, that's that's a good smell to just have carrying with you.
0: Very cool. There's a bit of Trek news this week. Did you see the news that uh, apparently astronomers have discovered Spock's home planet of Vulcan?
1: I did see that. I saw that on Twitter. I thought that was pretty cool.
0: So apparently, according to Star Trek lore, um, S- uh, Vulcan is in the system of, uh, what is it, Star 40 Eridani, and they've, astronomers have discovered an exit planet orbiting that star and they're hopefully going to name it Vulcan, which is pretty exciting. Apparently, it's about twice the size of Earth. And according to news.com.au, um, let me see, it, its year lasts just 42 days. Huh. Okay. So, go. so maybe one day we'll get to visit Vulcan. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah, it's neat. Other Star Trek-related news, uh, Discovery uh, launching some short mini-episodes on CBS All, a- All Access. Um, so basically, there's going to be four shorts released uh, once a month starting in October 4. Uh, but apparently, the article I'm reading says there there's no plans to screen them in the UK yet, which I guess means maybe they're not going to pop up on Netflix internationally.
1: Oh, do they say what they're going to be about?
0: Um, yeah, there's a bit of detail. So the article I'm looking at is on digitalspy.com. Uh, so the first short runaway, Thursday, October 4, it says, on board the US USS Discovery, Ensign Tilly, who's a fan favourite uh, if you're into Discovery, uh, Ensign Tilly encounters an unexpected visitor in need of help. However, this unlikely pair may have more in common than meets the eye.
1: Okay, so it looks like they're doing, like, character-focused episodes.
0: Potentially, yeah. Uh, what are we, Calypso, Thursday, November 8, after waking up in an unfamiliar sickbay, craft, I don't even, can't even remember who Kraft is, uh, finds himself on board a deserted ship. And his only companion, I hope for survival, is an AI computer interface. So, yeah, there you go, character-driven. Uh, and then on uh, Thursday, December 6th, there's one about Saru, who's the uh, Kelpian officer. And, oh, here we go. Thursday, January 3, Harry Mudd, back to his old tricks of stealing and double-dealing. Finds himself in a precarious position aboard a hostile ship. Um, so, anyone that's seen uh, the first series of Discovery knows that we get a, a pretty dark Harry Mudd. He's 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 as devious as the original, but um, he's yeah, he does some pretty brutal things and kills a lot of people.
1: <laughs> oh, okay.
0: Yeah, so still still a fun character, but yeah, a lot darker. So that's cool. Um, Yeah, so we'll have to yet to see for international viewers how those will come out. Um, In Australia, CBS All Access is apparently launching here as part of uh, they bought Free-to-Air Network 10 and supposedly they're merging their online catch-up service and that makes me a bit nervous. I might have to sign up for another streaming service in order to get Star Trek.
1: Yeah, that sounds like it might get pulled off of Netflix then. It sort of depends what their original deal with Netflix was.
0: Yes, that's that's what might be the saving grace is the, the deal with Netflix is supposedly Netflix are the international distributors for Discovery. So that might might sit on Netflix for a little bit longer.
1: Yeah, sort of like how the new like Disney streaming service doesn't mean everything Marvel and Disney is going to disappear off Netflix immediately because when they buy the rights to those movies, they buy them for a certain amount of time.
0: Yeah. But uh, it does mean ultimately all those things will go to Disney. So we're going to yeah. have to have a Disney subscription, a CBS All Access subscription subscription and a billion others what we've we got amazon netflix in australia we've got stan as well and then somebody will eventually probably come along and bundle them all up like a cable provider <laughs> and we'll be back to cable
1: <laughs> pretty much
0: something like that so there we go that's exciting uh i've got some other great news emily you'll be delighted about uh william shatner is releasing a spoken word christmas album and uh, he's just released uh, the first single, which is Spoken Word Jingle Bells, uh, where oh. Shatner speaks the verses enthusiastically, and then Henry Rollins sings the chorus. And uh, it's, as you'd expect, it's awful.
1: I hate everything about what you just said. I figured. <laughs> like
0: it's not good even if you're listening and thinking oh maybe this will be no it's not uh it's on soundcloud you can check it out oh man it's awful it's not even fun (laughs) like I, i love the what was the song he did with um ben folds i like that but this is just awful anyway so not a big fan of the first single let's see what else he does uh, there's a few clickbaity articles about, or well, not necessarily clickbaity, but sort of fluff pieces about Discovery and the original next or the next gen actors sort of talking about how they feel about Discovery. Apparently, Michael Dorn is not upset about the way the new Klingons look in Discovery. That's That, that, that was the uh, big news reported by Metro Entertainment. And according to comicbook.com, Marina Sirtis reveals why she hasn't watched Discovery. So I'll have to read more to find out this big scoop.
1: I mean, it just seems so weird to me that you would think just because an actor was in a show that was, like, within the same universe of this show, that they would, of course, watch it. I mean, they're just just doing their jobs.
0: Yeah, well, I think I I remember... Shatner saying how he'd never watched an episode of Next Gen. You'd think you'd at least be curious just to
1: watch one. Yeah, I mean, maybe, but it's been... I mean, when Next Generation end, it's been a long time. And if you're just like, maybe you're just not into sci-fi and it just happens to be you're on a science fiction show for seven years...
0: And, yeah, I wonder they must get a lot of fans at conventions expecting them to know everything about the physics of warp, you know, faster than warp flight and <laughs> space travel. Yeah. So Curtis is at Rose City Comic Con, and she explains that she didn't watch Discovery, has never watched Discovery, uh, because they were on the best Star Trek show and if CBS thinks I'm going to pay to watch Star Trek, then they are demented. I will wait until I go to England and watch it on Netflix, which I pay for anyway. So there you go. The multitude of streaming services is a problem for Raina Certis as well.
1: Yeah, you know what? Like, you know what, Star Trek people? Send her some screeners.
0: Yeah. Yeah, if you want to get an endorsement back, a nice soundbite. But uh, look forward to Discovery. Do you, um, are you still planning to binge two seasons of Discovery?
1: M- maybe. I need. What I need, I need to get sick. I need to have, like, the flu <laughs> for a couple of days. Yeah, that's and right. And take some time off work and then sign up for the free trial and just watch them all at once.
0: Definitely a great um, series to binge watch a whole season. That's how it's meant to be watched. Got that nice whole season arc. It's a very different to the the original series that we're watching at the moment.
1: Speaking of which.
0: So this week we watched The Squire of Gothos, uh, which is episode 17 from season one, uh, episode 18 on Netflix. Uh, originally it aired on NBC on January 12th, 1967. Uh, it's written by Paul Schneider. Uh, who also wrote uh, "The Balance of Terror," the Romulan episode that uh, we watched a couple of episodes back, and it was directed by Don McDougall, who um, directed lots of TV shows according to his resume. Um, episodes of Six Million Dollar Man, Dukes of Hazard, Wonder Woman, Dallas—so exciting!
1: Oh, so all like all the classic, yeah. yeah. What sense. a time
0: to be alive and be a director! So this one kicks off at star dates twenty one twenty four point five. Uh, I, I really enjoyed this episode. I thought it was fantastic.
1: It was a lot of fun. It's
0: interesting. I don't remember. Yeah, the first couple of times I watched it, I don't remember liking it so much. But yeah. Uh, so we start off with the Enterprise traveling through a star desert, which is a, a concept I've never never really thought about before. So they're just basically traveling traveling through a completely empty area of space with no stars or planets. They're doing another supply run. They're heading to Colony Beta Six. Um, The Enterprise is a bit of a uh, intergalactic courier service. The last few episodes.
1: Yeah, it it seems to be their main thing. It's kind of like exploring. Seems to be like an afterthought.
0: Yeah, kind of like the crew from Futurama, just doing space deliveries. Yeah. We know, yeah, we know is heavily influenced by Star Trek. Uh, so they're cruising through this empty, dark area of space in the middle of nowhere uh, when Spock detects a sizable space displacement reading.
1: Can I can imagine something that, that stuck, stuck out to me and... Once I noticed it, it was all like I I, I don't even know what happened to this scene because it was all I could think about is everybody is like drinking from these like open lid cups. Like everyone on the bridge has them, they're just like perched on their equipment and stuff. And it just seems really weird. Like you'd never see that on Next Generation. Everybody just with a drinking glass.
0: Yeah. And they kind of like paper cups. <laughs> like they may as well have a like a, a waitress, you know, from a diner cruising around just offering everyone free refills from a coffee pot.
1: Yeah. And I, just
0: spilling it all over the terminals.
1: Like and like especially like Uhura's is like on her panel, but her panel is like tilted. So it's it seems so precarious. And maybe they have really good waterproofing on their computers in Star Trek, but I don't know it just seemed so strange
0: they really yeah, they really need cup holders and uh and seat belts on the bridge
1: or, uh, <laughs> yes,
0: and i I yeah, I don't think these control panels are that sealed and waterproof. there seems to be there's often a lot of sparks and fire and stuff flying straight out of it, so I don't think they're very well contained, so Everyone's chilling, having a coffee or whatever cool space drink they're drinking. Uh, Spock picks up this sizable space displacement reading and it turns out to be an unidentified planet that's uh, hidden by some sort of light warp, apparently. Um, Kirk says, uh, it's a pity there's no time to investigate. So this is the opposite of every other episode where they've had really important stuff to do and they stop off. And investigate everything and send shuttles out and risk everyone's lives but no time today Uh, (laughs) so we know that quasars are important but an unidentified planet in the middle of nowhere Uh, at least they're going to i think he directs the science teams you know gather all the information and they'll send it off to to command there's massive interference coming from the planet, uh, so Uhura can't inform Command about the discovery. So Kirk directs Sulu to move move the ship away from the planet. Suddenly, Sulu, uh, before he complies with the order, he stands up and he looks like he's seen a ghost. He's almost catatonic, and then he just disappears. Battle stations! Spock yells, "Full reverse!" Have I got the wrong Kirk? Somebody yells. Full reverse, and then they roll the opening titles. So pretty exciting start.
1: Yes, yeah, it's very dramatic.
0: And we come back from the opening titles to see the Enterprise orbiting uh, cool, sort of olive green brown planets, which looks great. This, I'm assuming, this is the original special effects. It's definitely the original ship. Uh, it's a brown planet with uh, yeah, it with lightning striking randomly around the surface and volcanoes. It looks very cool. And we get Spock narrating, which I I think this is the first time I've heard Spock update the captain's log. I think Uh, so. It must be. So it's pretty clear something's up on the ship. There's no captain around. Uh, They're orbiting the lone unreported planet in the star desert. Four hours have passed and they've made every possible instrument sweep, but still no sign of Captain Kirk or Helmsman Sulu. Uh, Their instruments indicate the planet is extremely hot and it cannot support life or vegetation. Uh, And the atmosphere is not great, so if uh, two of their crew are down on the planet's surface, they wouldn't be able to survive for probably more than seconds. Uh, Uhura calls everyone's attention to a screen above her desk, uh, which all of a sudden is displaying a message in a, an old Gothic font that says greetings and felicitations. And Spock asks the, uh. It's
1: so goofy. I it is.
0: It. it is. Yeah. So it looks like a, a nice old scroll or something projected on the screen. Um, Spock asks the signal signaler to identify itself. And the response back is hip hip hurrah, tally ho, which is very goofy. McCoy beams down with two crewmen, uh, Mr. DeCell and Mr. Jaeger, who is a geophysical expert. And they're all wearing oxygen masks.
1: But not like any sort of environmental suit.
0: No. No, that's interesting. You'd think, yeah, we haven't seen spacesuits in this shit, have we?
1: Well, we saw the one when they went to the Frozen place.
0: Oh, yes, the weird biohazard suits.
1: Yeah. So you think they would have something like that.
0: To be fair, they protected them from absolutely nothing.
1: That's also true.
0: They're all open. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, they could do with better suits. Uh, The landing party, when they beam down, they uh, find themselves immediately... Uh in a forest with and uh Mr. Jaeger determines the atmosphere is exactly the same as Earth. There's no wild storms. Uh so this is bizarre. They take their masks off. Uh communicators can't contact the enterprise. And their emergency laser beacon doesn't work.
1: I love the look of this little beacon, by the way. It's such a great like sixties sci-fi prop.
0: Yes. This is very cool, and they arrive at a castle uh, and all of a sudden there's a grand trumpet fanfare so exciting
1: yeah the the music cues in this are are great
0: oh brilliant and the castle's awesome like it's got you know, burning torches and nice big wooden castle door with I don't know what you call it iron gilding or whatever uh, but no it looks awesome. I want that fanfare as my ringtone or my alarm tone first thing in the morning. I just leap out of bed and go, fuck yeah, I'm ready to start the day.
1: (laughs) Prepared to take on the world.
0: So exciting. But the music uh, immediately turns sinister and spooky. They open the castle door and uh, quietly enter the castle into a room that's lit by candles and torches and an open fire, and it's filled with statues and art and furniture and tapestries from earth and a harpsichord and a uh, rather large mirror behind the harpsichord, which is important later. Um, so I'm guessing the period's around the 1700s?
1: Yeah, it seems to be.
0: I'm not uh, great with my history around then, but there's there's a bust of Napoleon. And, but not everything's in the collections from Earth. There's one of those salt vampire creatures from episode one.
1: Oh, I totally missed that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, What was that? Yeah, that was not the pilot episode, but the first actual episode where McCoy lands on a planet and meets his old girlfriend. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: It was actually this crazy vampire that sucks the soul out of everyone, needs salt to survive. Uh, So that was alarming. Um, So this creature's sort of there as a, you know, you don't know if it's a statue or like a stuffed animal or something. And Kirk and Sulu are there too, and they're frozen like statues as well. And the the crew scan them. There's, There's no sort of life signs or anything. So they could be wax dummies. The castle door slams shut by itself, so it's like an old horror movie. And then suddenly we hear harpsichord music. And they turn around to see that the harpsichord player is... Man with sideburns in the most magnificent long blue coat with a gold leaf design. It's
1: so good. It's this like it's this sort of like French Revolutionary War sort of fancy army general jacket.
0: It is the most magnificent jacket I've ever seen.
1: I really want it.
0: So awesome. I would wear
1: it everywhere.
0: I was sitting, at, sitting in the office the other morning and I get a Facebook message from Emily that's saying, I, I want Trelane's <laughs> coat. <laughs> I'm like, hell yeah. So good. Uh, so he's wearing this beautiful long coat uh, with gold trim and uh, bright green trousers and black riding boots and a white lace cravat thing and he says you know he's talking about kirk and sulu i say they make an exquisite pair but i suppose you want the back and then all of a sudden like bewitched they're magically back to life um kirk and sulu are sort of looking around wondering where the hell they are and then the man says welcome to an island of peace on my stormy little planet of gothos he's very well dressed introduces himself as general trelane retired and he's just squire now and tells the crew they're visitors from the very planet that he's made his hobby. Uh, but he didn't think they were capable of such voyages. Mr. Jaeger sort of determines that uh, they're roughly 900 light years from earth and uh, Trelane must have been somehow observing earth from 900 years in the past. Now I think reading up that the timeline doesn't quite work it's it's several set. hundred years off. Yeah, so e- either way, he's sort of observing and tried to recreate Earth of the past anyway, and around the, the Napoleonic era. Uh, but I think there's other things he makes reference to that come a little bit after that, so maybe 1800s. Kirk explains, tries to explain this to Trelane and asks if they can return to the ship, but Trelane wants to know all about their campaigns, battles, and conquests. And Kirk tries to explain that, you know, they're peaceful and only enter into battle as a last resort. Uh, But Trelane completely ignores him and says, you will join me in a repast. Uh, My vocabulary doesn't extend to the word repast. I meant to look it up. A meal. Okay, cool. Thank you, Apple. (laughs) The
1: context clues are pretty good there.
0: Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, cool. I've broadened my horizon. I'm going to use that today at lunch. Please join me in a repast.
1: (laughs) It works better if you're wearing a coat like his.
0: Oh, yeah. Magnificent. Um, So, yeah, so blue was the traditional French color, I guess. So the English were always red, weren't they? I believe so. So, But he speaks with an English accent. It's not really an old English accent. It's sort of a – a couple of times he sounds a bit like Austin Powers. It's it's a groovy 60s English accent. (laughs) Sometimes it's formal. A lot of the time it's formal, but, yeah, it doesn't sound like an old-fashioned accent. It's interesting. It varies. Not quite as bad as Dick Van Dyke and Mary Poppins. No,
1: not many things are.
0: He says, "I want to learn your feel, learn about your feelings on war and killing, that sort of thing. Do you know that you're one of the few predator species that preys even on itself?"
1: Which, I sort of went, I don't, I don't think that is true at all.
0: (laughs) So the writer here is
1: especially not if, especially not if you're considering all the other sentient creatures I mean in space where like every alien we meet kills other like members of that alien race pretty much
0: yeah definitely um yeah that's definitely not true even of animals on earth but I guess so the writer's trying to make a point about humans and violence I guess
1: yeah (laughs) sort of misses the mark in terms of being not remotely
0: true at all
1: factual.
0: <laughs> Sounds good. Um Mr. DeSalle is ready to use his phaser, but Kirk says no, hang on, not yet, and tells him to set it to stun. Uh Trelane overhears this and he's delighted to hear DeSalle's name and starts speaking in French and declares that he's a huge fan of Napoleon. And later when he's introduced to Mr. Jaeger, um his Trelaine starts speaking in German and marching around. <laughs> uh, DeSalle tries to stun Trelaine uh, while he has his back turned, but uh is clearly visible in this huge mirror.
1: It's 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 ridiculous. Because I think it's supposed to be this moment of, oh wow, Trelaine noticed this. He must be like super powerful and smart, but there's a giant mirror.
0: That would have been so much more effective if he like if yeah, they were looking any other way and he had just super knowledge or whatever. Trelaine's not remotely upset by this. He's delighted by the, the whole scene and his guests and he's fascinated by what he's learning. He freezes to immediately and then goes over and takes his phaser and then unfreezes him. He's he's just absolutely fascinated by the phaser and he turns and shoots the salt vampire creature and keeps shooting and destroying several other of his specimens around the room. And he looks at it and he's delighted. He said, this could kill millions. Uh, Trelaine explains eventually when Kirk keeps pressing him uh, that, he and others uh, have perfected a system of transferring matter to energy and back to matter again. And that's how he's created this place and how he controls everything in it. Uh, and I'm assuming by others, yeah, yeah, he means his species or whatever type of entity yeah. he really is. Kirk tries to leave. And this is when Trelaine finally starts to get annoyed and says, Perhaps you need another demonstration of my authority. And transports him out onto the real planet's surface. Uh, and uh, Kirk's immediately overcome by the gases and falls to his knees, grabbing his throat. And then Trelaine transports him back to the castle just in time while he's coughing. So, some good,
1: uh, some good opportunity for some really hammy acting from Shatner.
0: Yes, fantastic coughing, Shakespearean coughing. <laughs> Uh, Meanwhile, the Enterprise crew have diverted impulse power to the sensors and they've finally been able to identify that there's a small area on the planet that seems to be able to support life. And uh, even though it's highly unlikely their officers are there, Spock directs Scotty to beam up uh, whatever life forms they find there. In the castle, Trelane is back in a good mood and he's playing the harpsichord Jaeger figures out that even though the log fire is blazing away, it's not emitting any heat. So things are a few things are slightly off about this castle. Um, so they know that this Trelane guy perhaps isn't all-knowing and he's capable of making mistakes. And Kirk tries to reason with him again and says there's 400 men and women waiting for them uh, that they have to get back to on the ship. And that's a huge mistake from Kirk because uh, Trelane's delighted to hear that they have uh, women folk on board, and he wants to meet some.
1: Yeah, so it gets creepy real fast. Oh well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: the Enterprise beams the men up just uh, just in time while Trelane um, protests, "Is like what? You know, what's going on? This? Well, if not happy at all." Um, Trelane is not beamed up with them, so it would appear that Trelane is not a life form, or at least not as they not, because uh, the Enterprise is just trying to randomly beam up everything, which seems dangerous. You don't know what you're dealing with down there, but I guess they're desperate.
1: Yeah, but I guess, I guess the alternative is you leave everybody down there to die.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, the Enterprise prepares to warp away at maximum speed, uh when Trelane appears on the bridge and uh there's a bit of back and forth there and mid sentence he beams them all back to his castle. Uh so this time uh Spock and Sulu and Uhura and another woman, yeoman Teresa Ross, uh join them. When Trelane is introduced to Uhura, he says, Oh, oh. terrible, it's very problematic. Oh my God. He says, ah, a Nubian prize and kisses her hand and then turns to Kirk and says, taken on one of your conquests, Captain. So I guess you could say this is his character of of his time, but uh, a bit problematic. Trelane doesn't like Spock because he was the one that um, beamed everybody away and tried to get away. Um, Spock doesn't like Trelane and says, I object to you. I object to intellect without discipline. I object to power without constructive purpose. So there you go. So it's interesting. It's a great line. It is very good. And I wonder, so we haven't talked a whole lot about what some of the subtext might be for these episodes, but I guess the main thing going on in 67 is the Vietnam War, I guess, the main sort of yeah. Thing. So I guess often we know that the writers use, you know, these fictional scenarios and aliens to write about subjects that they, you know, weren't allowed to write about overtly in primetime TV.
1: Yeah. So with, with Trelaine, you sort of have this view of the, the glorification of war from the people who don't actually have to fight in it.
0: Yes. Yep. Definitely.
1: So it's like romanticized version of it of the glory and the battle.
0: Yeah. So that could be could be saying something about Vietnam, definitely. Or maybe it's just an interesting story, and I'm reading too much into it.
1: Yeah, that could be too. I mean, who knows? Interesting. But I feel like that. About. I feel like that line. That line is resonant.
0: Yeah, that's an awesome line. Very, very good. Uh, Trelane asks Uhura to play harpsichord, but she doesn't know how. And then, uh, this is very like bewitched a lot of the things in this episode. Trelane just uses his powers and then suddenly Uhura instantly starts playing the harpsichord and plays a waltz while Trelane dances with Yeoman Ross. Uh, we get a lot of creepy aliens with superpowers that force women to dance with them or force women to hang out with them
1: (laughs) yeah you know here unfortunately i feel like this was not the writers trying to say anything but uh
0: spock and mccoy uh spock mccoy and kirk we get our classic brains trust together and they're discussing the fact the food and the brandy has absolutely no taste and Spock determines that uh, Trelane knows the form of uh, these Earth objects, but doesn't know the substance. They also notice Trelane's fascination with the large mirror and how he never strays far from it. Uh, Trelane's magic's a pink ball gown on the yeoman. Uh, it's similar to our Shore leave episode where. I'm not really the leading lady, but the the objectified lady uh, dressing up like a princess. Uh,
1: That's right.
0: It's a cool gown. It's a nice pink ball gown. Uh, she's got long white gloves and lots of pearls. She's got pearls in her hair and some sort of pink fluffy. Sorry, I know very, nothing about fashion, but like a pink fluffy fascinator thing in her hair. Kirk acts. It's still not
1: as cool as his coat cuddle-
0: though. No, it's not as cool. <laughs> Probably a bit cooler than the fairy tale princess outfit that uh, the yeoman was wearing in Chorleaf. Kirk acts jealous, and uh, Kirk's obviously starting to... He's got a bit of a plan now, and he's starting, starting to carry it out. Uh, so he acts all jealous and angry, and then slaps Trelane across the face to declare a duel. <laughs> bit of good Kirk face slapping here. Uh, Trelane's delighted. He loves it. Uh, and he uh, goes to the mantelpiece and picks up a wooden box with a pair of dueling pistols in it. Uh Trelane wants to shoot first and uh Kirk tries to argue with him and says, No, yeah, no, we shoot together. But uh Trelane wants to go first and he just uh aims at the aims the pistol at the ceiling and shoots at the ceiling and wastes deliberately wastes his shot and uh he waits for kirk to shoot him he's like come on you must finish me off he's like he's so happy he's beaming uh but then kirk uh at the last second fires at the mirror and destroys the mirror and uh reveals a there's now a a machine behind the mirror which is broken by the bullet as well
1: and the the sound effects department oh, yeah. like lost their friggin' minds, and it's all these like <laughs> cartoony like 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 that you know that like boing like yeah. Looney Tunes spring sound. It is all over this scene.
0: Yeah, all of a sudden this chitty chitty bang bang or bed knobs and broomsticks or something like that. it's a kids <laughs> Disney movie. And they're like doing and and like slide whistles and stuff. Man, that's <laughs> hilarious.
1: Oh, it's so good.
0: So good.
1: Right at this dramatic moment.
0: Oh, man. Uh, and then as soon as Kirk destroyed this crazy machine, the, the fire goes out and the torches immediately go out. Um, so here yeah, we know his, this projection device or whatever it is has uh, lost a heap of power. Trilane is furious and tells them to go back to their ship and prepare themselves. They're all dead men. And he starts walking toward the broken mirror and then disappears. Uh, the interference is gone, so the land, landing party beam up again and they floor it away from the planet at full impulse. And uh, on the bridge, the yeoman is still wearing her ball gown and asks if she can go and change now. They're about to enter warp when suddenly the planet Gothos is right behind them and is chasing after them.
1: Chased by a planet. Chased Pretty by weird. a
0: planet. That, well, that's new. It's definitely new. Uh, so the planet's flying toward them on a collision course, and uh, the Enterprise... Or
1: as Spock says it, Collosion.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. I'm going to use he that as He also says well.
1: sensors about 10 times during this episode.
0: Collosion. But
1: collosion, collosion was a new one, and I'm like, what? what is with Nimoy?
0: I love that. <laughs> A collision course. Man, my my vocabulary is expanding to made-up words now. Awesome. Um, The Enterprise makes a hard turn just last minute and misses the planet, but then the planet makes another pass at them. So this happens multiple times, this planet just flooring it at the ship and them sort of uh, turning at the last second and glancing off it. So it's a a bit like a soccer penalty shootout. Um, Kirk immediately, um, directs him to decelerate and, uh, enter orbit around the planet and Kirk beams down by himself. Kirk, uh, immediately finds himself in a courtroom with an angry Trelane dressed as a judge with a wig and a black gown. And, uh, there's the shadow of a noose hanging behind Kirk's head uh kirk yells at Trelane and tries to reason with him to let the the ship and the crew go uh but Trelane ignores him and there's not much of a trial Trelane, you know quickly pretty much immediately finds kirk guilty and sentences him to hang and then immediately as he's done being judged sort of Trelane gets up takes the robe off and he's got his you know his frilly white shirt on and his bright green pants and uh he, he he's delighted again he's so happy he's like he's sort of like almost saying yeah how did i do was i a good judge yeah so happy and he just walks over to a desk to pick up a hangman's mask and he's about to put it on he's pumped he's having the best afternoon oh yeah and he's yeah he just says uh he's so delighted that he experienced genuine anger and he talks about how well this experiment is going Kirk talks him into a hunt instead or you know some sort of a, a, a fight instead of um, you know simple hanging because there's you know there's no fun in that he gets him to up the stakes and agree to let the enterprise go outside Trelane is chasing after Kirk with a you know a grin from ear to ear <laughs> it's not much of a fight there's sort of Trelane has a sword and he's chasing after Kirk Kirk doesn't have any weapons at all yeah uh, Kirk manages to, I think he swings on a tree branch and kicks the sword out of Trelaine's hand and then uh, tries to stab at him. But it's just like Luke Skywalker in The Last Jedi. You know, Trelaine's, the sword just passes straight through Trelaine without hurting him. So Trelaine's basically a projection. Um, And so Kirk throws this useless sword away. Then Trelaine just makes a new sword appear. And uh, they fight on until Kirk's eventually cornered. And then suddenly when Kirk's in big trouble and he's about to get it, uh, Trillane's parents rock up to uh, green clouds of gas and they tell him to knock it yeah, off, basically. You know,
1: this actually reminded me of of how familiar are, are you with um, It's a Wonderful Life?
0: I've seen it. It's a wonderful the because, Christmas,
1: Christmas movie. Yeah, the, the Jimmy Stewart one. Because in the beginning, when you get like, basically, I guess God talking to Clarence and the like the uh, and the other angels about George Bailey, it's just this sort of shot of of stars like blinking on and off, and yeah. it looks it looks really similar to that. I, wanna... I don't know if anybody else is reminded of that. Let me know. It's possible I'm crazy, but that's. One of my dad's favorite movies, and we watched it like every Christmas,
0: yeah, apparently that movie there was something the producers or whatever stuffed up the copyright or didn't renew the copyright, so the networks could screen it for free or something to that effect, I remember seeing yeah, uh,
1: so it was yeah it was something like so like people could just air it, so everybody did,
0: yeah, every Christmas, and it's a great movie, so um we were the winners, uh yeah, I think it was one of those ones I I think we've even got it on dvd but definitely as a kid i probably you know rocked up part way through the movie because it, whenever it, it was on all the time it is
1: really long yeah it's always longer than i think it is and there's always so much like more really boring scenes that i tend to block out
0: gosh it's good though it is a very oh, good yeah. movie um yeah i might yeah i might dig that out this afternoon It'd be a good movie to show the kids so Trelane, yeah Trelane's parents rock up their green gas clouds, and uh Trelane immediately has an American accent and he starts acting like a spoilt child, um so his parents basically just tell him to stop it and knock it off and Trelane says, "No, you said I could have this planet for my own and uh the dad says, yeah, big deep voice, this has gone far enough, Trelane um and then Trelane says. But you, you always stop me when I'm having fun. And dad says, you, you're disobedient and cruel. We've told you before. And mom says, time to come, time to come in now, Trelane. And Trelane says, but I don't want to come in and I won't. I'm a general and I won't listen to you. <laughs> and, <laughs> really whiny. And mom says, if you cannot take proper care of your pets, you cannot have them at all. And then Trelane whines and complains, and
1: and, and dumps has- soy sauce on them.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's a big tantrum. <laughs> you know that classic prank—the old soy sauce on the back of the neck to ruin your shirt. <laughs> Man, what else would what else was I expecting to happen this morning? <laughs> um, Dad says, "Stop that nonsense, or you'll not be permitted to make any more planets." <laughs> <laughs> Um, Trilane starts crying and has a big tantrum. And he says, uh, whatever I've written down is been has been autocorrected and doesn't make any sense. <laughs> um, but, yeah, he, he has a big tantrum and he's crying and then he fades away. And then the parents apologize to Kirk and they say, Captain, you must forgive our child. The fault is ours for indulging him too much. He will be punished. So we've had a few of these super powerful creatures that are really immature and uh, at some point an authority figure rocks up and punishes them. is <laughs> a bit frightening. I wonder what the punishment is.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, this is definitely of these, like, god power alien ones. This is the episode I've liked the most.
0: Yeah, it's, it's very Twilight Zone, isn't
1: it? Yes.
0: Especially the ending. So Kirk asks, yeah, Kirk asks them, you know, who they are and who, what, who was T- Trelane, Uh, and they, we get no answers. They so basically just, they take after him to spank him and <laughs> or whatever. And then Kirk's back to the enterprise. So we get no answers. Uh, but there's an episode of Futurama, where, which is exactly the same as this, basically. Um, I think Fry goes to a forbidden planet or something. I might be remembering a couple of different episodes, but um, the original cast of Star Trek are stuck on this planet. And there's a gas cloud, which is sort of a whiny adolescent sort of obsessed Star Trek fan that's holding them prisoner. And then the parents oh, wrap okay. up and I seen make one.
1: him I'm stop. Scared. It's
0: very, very good. We'll have to dig it up. I'll send you the send you the episode link. Uh, back on the bridge, Spock asks Kirk how they should describe Trelane, And uh, Kirk settles on naughty little boy. And uh, Kirk says it was probably not that different to the mischievous pranks you played as a boy and spock sort of rolls his eyebrow and says mischievous pranks like kirk sort of lists a few different pranks there was no tipping soy sauce on people but it was sort of like i don't know i don't know whatever your typical i like giving people wedgies or whatever <laughs> uh but yeah spock rolls his eyes and uh that's our light-hearted moment at the end and roll credits So I thought it was a pretty great episode.
1: Yeah. And there's, there's some cool stuff in here. One is that of course, train is, well, it's not explicitly said in Canon, this is what becomes the Q continuum in next generation.
0: Yeah, that's right. You
1: definitely see, you definitely see how, how Q comes from this. Um, even so much as in that first episode in, in kind of the far point, like, putting putting them on trial.
0: Definitely. Absolutely. There's a lot of parallels
1: there. And and the character also comes back in... We, I mentioned it before because it's my favorite of the Star Trek books. Uh, Peter David's Q-squared. He's a... Uh, Trey Lane is a, a central figure in that book. Oh, like really? He Q, yeah, he and Q sort of do battle.
0: Oh wow. Is is Trelaine grown up at all?
1: well he's he's grown up in that he's gets more powerful.
0: Ah I see. But he
1: still he still like has this tantrum child mentality.
0: Wow. (laughs) That'd be good. I've got to read that. I must read that. So much content, so little time.
1: I think I think part of the reason this episode really works is william William Campbell's performance as Trelane like sliding accent aside, he's having so much fun,
0: yes, yeah, there's really it just the joy sort of resonates right through him actually, it's great. I like his look with the sideburns,
1: yeah, I like those sideburns,
0: which could have been that look would have been fine in the sixties, I'm guessing, yeah. Very cool. Oh,
1: I was going to say, he comes back as a Klingon in Trouble with Tribbles. Oh, and, cool. And that same Klingon character, with him playing it 30-some years later, is on one of my favorite Deep Space Nine episodes called Blood Oath, where, um you know... I mean, I don't. I know you don't really watch *Deep Space Mine, but you know, Dax, the character who has like yeah, the symbiont yep. that moves from character to character, that like moves from host to host. Yep. Um, the pre- her previous host, Curzon, had made a blood oath with these Klingons to swear revenge on this guy who had killed these Klingons' sons, and so they finally track down this guy and they come to get Dax and realize, oh shit. You're a different person now, but she decides to go with them anyway, even though Starfleet frowns upon, you know, going off to murder people.
0: <laughs> so that's right. Yeah. So Dax, that's interesting. The whole Dax, um... what is the word? Parasite? No, there's, there's got to be a nicer uh, word than Parasite. Symbiote.
1: Symbi- symbi- the symbiote. The, the symbi- opposite, Yeah. <laughs>
0: Um, yeah, so it's a, yeah, that's fascinating. So does Dax have to sign up as a Starfleet officer as well?
1: Well, Dax is inhabiting
0: the the, the host, which is a Starfleet officer. Yeah,
1: Dax is is inhabiting the host who is, you know, sometimes will be somebody who signs up for Starfleet.
0: Wow. I think what I'm thinking of is surely there's like security clearance issues (laughs) when you've got a symbiotic, um creature inside your host It's one of your offices
1: yeah but i mean it can't like it it can't like come out of her body and communicate with people outside of it
0: but it's controlling her body is that right it's controlling her brain or is it a mutual thing
1: The, the symbiote carries the memories of all its past hosts so when the new person takes it on which they do like in adulthood so it's it, it's sort of and they go through like there's a couple episodes about this it's like this really rigorous like super competitive process to become a host but so you get the memories so people's when you join, your personality might change some because all of a sudden you have all the memories of these old experiences, but you're still you. It's just you're you with access to centuries of knowledge.
0: Wow. So it would be a fascinating resource, uh, but also a huge security risk, I guess, if the symbiote goes and inhabits one of the enemy.
1: Yeah, if, if one somebody of the Cardassian. Managed- Oh well they can't they can't, uh, they can't go to a different species the or trill it's is a species all always to be
0: human oh no, no so it's she's, not, not human. Yes, oh, she's not human
1: yeah she's not trill it's the, the trill are a species that exist and then there's also the trill symbiote and not it's not like every trill has one there's like a limited amount which is why it's so competitive to get them
0: oh wow okay oh, i had this whole thing completely wrong i'm learning heaps
1: she was my favorite character, so I know a lot about the trail.
0: <laughs> wow. Okay, I'm gonna have to get I'm gonna have to get up to speed on this. Oh, that's fascinating. So like yeah, so like
1: yeah, so like uh, Commander Cisco knew her old host, um, oh, wow. Curzon Dax. They were that he was sort of like a mentor to Cisco. Oh, so it becomes this weird thing with Cisco, and and that's why Cisco like. It, 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 Repeatedly throughout the series, called Stradzia old man.
0: Aha. Uh-huh. So that yeah, which is so a, so it's
1: a fun little thing.
0: Uh, so that's it, yeah. So the the gender change, that's fascinating.
1: Huh, very
0: good. Um, Q is interesting. Just sort of thinking about Trelane, like Q is, he's not immature like Trelane, but he's he's definitely bored. Yeah, irresponsible. That's why he's sort of similar sort of thing. He's got these humans captured to entertain him, um, but just because he's bored and got got this awesome power, and he's, I guess, in a similar way, is irresponsible with it.
1: Yeah, because well, I mean, in his thinking, you know, he's a god. So what does a god care if the you know the toys he's playing with? don't like what he's making them do.
0: Yeah, that's right. Fascinating. So it's Q. And, and that, yeah, that episode, that first episode with Q, I think that was totally written by Gene Roddenberry.
1: I think so. And they, def, like, definitely later in the series, Q becomes more of, like, your fun, jokey character. yeah. But he's he's pretty scary in that first episode.
0: He is, yeah, yeah, terrifying. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's I guess so. Gene Roddenberry is an atheist, but I guess it, d- it does sound like he sort of wrote like the character Q is God, I guess, or a God. So yeah, it's just interesting to get his take on it all. Fascinating, very cool. Do you have anything else you want to throw in this week?
1: I don't think so. I just gotta say, like, if you're not watching every episode, and you're listening to our podcast, watch this one because it's a lot of fun.
0: Definitely, absolutely, yeah. We should at the end of the se- at the end of the season, uh, we'll have to go back and pick out our favourites. I guess we should do our recommended list. Oh, definitely. Definitely, yeah. Write in if you've got some favourites or some favourites coming up that we should look out for. Let us know. Uh, Our email address is he'sdeadjimpod at gmail.com and uh, follow us on the socials at he'sdeadjimpod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, Emily, how can we follow you?
1: Uh, You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at EFLIND, that's at E-F-L-I-N-D, you can listen to me on my other podcasts, I do a Star Wars podcast called The Canto Dispatch, and I do a Twin Peaks podcast called How's Annie.
0: And also, I haven't listened yet, but uh, Emily, you were a special guest on Steel Wars Star Wars podcast on, uh, is it Hyper Chat or Hyper News?
1: Uh, um, Hyper News, he's doing uh, like a couple of, like, couple times a week, he's doing a YouTube live show where people call in and we just sort of chat about whatever the newest Star Wars news is and um, you can watch them on YouTube or which has some visuals to it or you can just listen to it like you would any other podcast. So cool. It's on the normal Steel Wars feed.
0: Awesome. Check that out too. Shout out to our buddy Steel Saunders the godfather of Australian podcasting. (laughs) I think uh yeah, I called him the grandfather of Australian podcasting once and he said, no, that's Will Anderson. So he can be the godfather. Okay. Very cool. Uh, that's next in my, that's on my downcast app ready for me to listen to this afternoon. Very excited. Well, have a wonderful week. Uh, it's always awesome to chat, to chat to you about anything, Emily, and especially to chat about Trek. Thank you so much and we've got oh next episode we've got the Gorn
1: dun dun dun
0: I can't wait to talk about the Gorn so much hissing that episode's about probably about 40 minutes of hissing (laughs) (laughs) so exciting Uh, we've got uh, thanks again for everybody bearing with us there might be a couple of weeks break before we get to that one because we're busy he's debtors at the moment Um, but We'll be back. We'll get through this season. Yes. Have fun.
1: Bye. See you
0: next time, guys. Bye.